So do you, um, do you believe that truth, that he loves you? Yeah? Hey, look at your neighbor and say, he loves you. That's a little uncomfortable, isn't it? Look at your other neighbor and tell, tell them he loves you. Yeah. Yeah, I hope you experience that today. Um, the God of all creation, um, who doesn't just stand at a distance and, and didn't just leave us on our own to figure it out, but the God who, who, who desperately loves us. And as Joe said, he, he pursues us. Uh, even if you don't realize that he's, he's, he's pursuing you. Uh, we've, we've been in this series, uh, Extremely Emotional. And uh, what we're talking about is, is the emotions that God has given us. And, and all of us have, have been given emotions. How many of you felt some sort of emotion this week? <laughs> something. How many of you felt anything this week at all? <laughs> Hopefully you felt something. Um, if not, I, I, um, I've, I felt some respiratory stuff going on. So I apologize if my voice is going to be distracting to you. Are you going to work with me this morning? Are you okay with that? I'm, I'm, uh, I think I'm, I'm good. If I pass out, call somebody. Um, uh, hopefully, hopefully you've been learning in this series something that, that I believe is absolutely true that sometimes we miss. And it's this, that, that the God of creation didn't just create the physical world that we live in, but he also created um, our emotions, what, what's going on inside of us, deep inside of us. Uh, for you created me, David wrote this, for you created me in my inmost being, and, and that uh, that's, that's translated inmost being, that word, the Hebrew word there, uh, literally means the central core of who we are. And I think that's where our emotions spring from. The, the very core, the spirit of, of, of who we are. God created this. And, and David says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The emotions that you feel, and sometimes the emotions that, that maybe uh, uh, lead you off track, those are given to you by God, so they're actually good things. The emotions that we feel are actually good things that God has given us. Now, what we do with those emotions, that's the big question, right? What do we do with the emotions that we feel? And we've been talking about these, uh, these thoughts that if, if emotions are the engines that drive us, so if we allow our emotions to be the drivers behind our lives, oftentimes it leads us off course and it becomes destructive to us and those around us. Now, let me give you a quick example, and I think you'll be able to, to run with this. Have you ever said something out of anger that you wish you could take back? Yes? Okay, that, so you know exactly what that's saying, that when, when emotion becomes the primary driver or the engine in our lives, oftentimes it leads us off track. When we allow our emotions to control us, it often leads us off track. And what it does to our relationships is it creates really painful, tense circumstances that sometimes we have a hard time recovering from. Um, but emotion, I believe, was given to us by God to be the dashboard. So if you think about the, the difference between an engine and a dashboard in a car, the dashboard is there to indicate, to give you indicators of something going on within the car or around the car. And I believe this is why God gave us emotions, to, to, to indicate some things. And when we see our emotions as the indicators we're able to act in a way that is healthy, in a way that honors God, and actually a way that, that builds relationships with one another, strong relationships. Now, I want to talk about something today, and, and this may become a heavy conversation. I'm not sure yet if it will or not. It, it might be heavy for some of us, and it, it, and it might be something that some of us don't deal with. But I want to talk about the differences between guilt and shame. Oftentimes, these feel very similar to one another. 
we feel guilt, guilt, guilt. That was my southern, uh, my southern way of saying guilt. Uh, guilt, we oftentimes feel guilt when, when we do something that hurts someone else. But we also oftentimes feel shame in the same way. Here's what guilt is. It's the feeling or knowledge of having committed an offense, done wrong, or failed in some sort of obligation to someone else. So we realize it. This, this emotion kind of arises within us. And, and, and I believe if we quit feeling guilt, we have a problem. All of us, from time to time, should, should feel, should, should feel this, this guilt because we oftentimes do things that hurt other people. And I think guilt is that indicator that God gives us to help us realize, oh, wait a minute, I've done something to hurt someone else. And if we don't feel that, I think it's, also, it's, it's, it's oftentimes a, a, a picture of our selfishness. We don't realize the pain we, we put on someone else. Now, shame is very different. Shame is the deep sense of being unacceptable because of something you did, because of something done to you, or because of something that has been attached to you or associated to you. Does that make sense? And do you see the difference between the two? There's a huge difference. Guilt is the feeling that I've done something to hurt somebody. I've, I've realized this. And shame is that emotion, that feeling that not just that I've, I've done something maybe to hurt someone or that somebody's done something to me, but it's actually this idea that now, because of this, I am unacceptable. There's something going on deep within me that makes me unacceptable to other people. Very different. Let me give you a few little examples, um, some, some, some ideas in tension with each other. Guilt says, I hurt someone. Shame says, I'm useless. You know, you know what I mean? That, that feeling like, not just that I've hurt somebody, but now I'm such a waste of a person. Have you ever felt that? I'm, I'm a waste of a person? Yeah? Yeah. Um, guilt says, um, not just that I've hurt someone, but I shouldn't have done that. Guilt maybe leads me to this idea that, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. Shame says, I'm a complete failure. It's not just that I've done something to hurt somebody, but I always do something to hurt someone. That's just who I am. I'm just this complete failure in my life. And kind of the big phrases, I think, their intention is, that, is this, that guilt says, I made a mistake, and shame tells us that we are a mistake. Now, just in walking through those statements, some of you probably right now already feel the weight of shame in your life. And maybe it's because you've been told something again and again and again, and something has been drilled into you by someone else again and again and again, and you've started to take it and own it in a way that it is who you are now. It's what you believe about yourself, and you are ashamed of that. Maybe it's because you've constantly done something and in constantly coming back to something again and again and again, you've, you've, you've told yourself, I'm worth nothing. I think this is something that alcoholics deal with quite a bit. That alcoholics realize that they're returning to the same thing again and again and again, and they've convinced themselves that this is just who they are now. This is who I am. I can't get past this because I'm a failure. Shame... Um, tells us that, that, that we're, we're mistakes. Um, I, I remember the first couple times I felt shame in my life. 
I, I don't have a great memory of my childhood. My brother, some of you may um, be able to relate to this. My brother can remember the most specific things from our childhood in a way that I, I don't know if he's lying or, or telling the truth. <laughs> and he says it, and it's like, okay, I guess that happened. I, I don't remember that at all. Do you, you know what I'm talking about? Some people who can remember those kind of details. I don't remember a lot, but there's some things that I do remember. I remember, like, around third grade, I went to my friend uh, Chris Goodson's house. And Chris had a brother, Dan, and often went over there and played. And, and I loved playing at their house. They had a pool table, and I always thought that was so cool. So we'd play pool, and we'd play out back. And I remember one time uh, we found a snake, and so we got the weed eater, and, and um, it was awesome. Um, that's not the story, though. Um, so I remember about third grade. Um, we went over to Chris and I went over to Chris and Dan's house, and we were playing. And they had a friend over named Mikey, and Mikey had discovered uh, this secret stash of magazines in the Goodsons' house. And Mikey introduced me to a world I had never known before. Now, I quickly realized that what we were looking at was not something appropriate for third graders, or anyone for that matter, should be looking at on a regular basis. And I walked away from that experience not feeling like I had done something wrong, but that now I was, I was, I was kind of wasted. Like there had, something had happened to my soul in a sense. I was so ashamed. I don't even know if my parents know this to, the day, to this day. Now, my mom's in the room, so now she knows. But uh, I don't know if I ever told my parents this because I was so ashamed at what had happened. Have you ever felt like that? A, a few years later. Uh, so maybe that was something that, that was done to me or something that someone exposed me to. Uh, a few years later, I was in high school, and I was on the math team. <laughs> it was cool in our high school. Um, <laughs> And uh, we were in this, this math competition, which even sounds funny to say. We were in a math competition, and um, I, we were taking a test, and we had these two kids, Reed and Brad, in my class, who were just amazing at mathematics. And I don't know how I got on the math team, but I was on the math team, and we were in this competition. It was a statewide competition, and kind of taking the test, and I knew, like, these guys are going to win. I'm not going to win. I don't really care if I win. Um, and, and so we're taking the test, and we get near the end of the test, and I realize that Brad is on the same page as me, and he's close enough that I can actually see some of his answers, so I don't have to do the work myself. And so I realized, you know, this isn't for a grade. It's not that big of a deal. So I just went ahead and copied a few of his answers. Didn't think anything about it. And then turned the test in. We had lunch or whatever, and then they started announcing the winners. And I really didn't think anything about what I had done until I won. And I realized that I really didn't win. I mean, I had done most of the tests on myself, by myself, but I realized that I had taken a few answers from someone else, and I was ashamed at what I had done. Now, guilt in this situation. If I would have simply felt guilt, I think it would have caused me to be honest about what had happened and tell them I shouldn't have done that. Turn in my award. But shame does something far different to us when we feel shame. It actually leads us, rather than being honest, to cover things up and hide from the reality of who we are. Do you, do you see how shame does that? It causes us to isolate ourselves. Um, here's what I believe about shame. I believe it's the enemy's tool for, our, for attacking our true identity, who we really are. 
And shame, I believe, is the enemy's way of confusing the what of our lives with the who of our lives. Now, let me say that again just so we catch that. I think shame is the enemy's way of confusing the what of our lives with the who of our lives. What we've done with who we are. Now, I want to walk back just a little bit. Um, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And I want, I want this to sink in with us. I want you to, I want you to feel um, a bit of the weight of this uh, in, in a good way. Uh, the Bible tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything. And it comes to this, this point in Genesis chapter 1 where he creates um, Adam and Eve as we read it in, in, in our Bibles, right? Adam and Eve. And it says this, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Do you, do, you, do, you read, do you catch that, what it's saying about you and what it's saying about me? That you were created in the image of God. Now, I know we read that and we kind of think, well, okay. No, no, no. We were created in the image of the one who has all power and authority and who is love himself. We were created in the image of God. Male and female. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Male and female. I know sometimes the world tells certain genders that maybe you're not, you're not quite there, you're almost there. No, no, no. The, the Bible tells us that male and female both created in the image of God, which means we all bear deep within us the fingerprint of God. Now, some of you are already kind of working ahead and you're, oh, yeah, but we're broken. And, yeah, yeah, we'll get there. But, but first, realize that you bear the image of God within you. That, that's amazing. That, that the God who, who has the power to create everything that we see and everything that we don't see, he actually wanted to create beings that in some way bear his image to this world. We're the only ones. Some of us look at the mountains. I, I mean, I, I love skiing in the winter, and I love sitting on top of the mountains and looking at the beauty of what God's created, and you look at that and you go, how could you not believe in a creator when you see this? And and, and that's not even what God chose to reveal who he is. He chose us. I mean, the, the world proclaims who he is, but, but we are the, the ones who, who literally bear the image of God, male and female. Um, so the story goes on, and, and, and you probably are already thinking this ahead, that, that Adam and Eve, um, for some reason, they... They feel like they want to do what God's asked them not to do. And so they make a decision to turn and walk from God and, and to partake of something that he's told them not to do. Only one thing, he says, stay away from this, and they can't stay away from it. And so they eat, and, and um, it tells us this in, in Genesis chapter 3. At that moment, the moment that they walked away from God, and, and, they, and, and in this, this concept of walking away from God, I think it's this, this idea of turning away from the image that was put in them, that at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at being exposed, at, at their nakedness. Now, I, I think it, it's, it's talking about much more than just their physical 
exposure to one another. I think it's talking about something much deeper there, that, that they felt shame at who they really were. Well, who, how did this come about? It, it came about by the, the enemy deceiving them and leading them away from, from, from God. Now, they, they made the decision. They did it on their own, but, but it was the enemy who, who used this, and, and the shame causes them to do what? They sew fig leaves together to cover themselves, and they, they hide from God. They hide from each other, and they hide from God. And this is what shame does to us. Shame leads us. It, it's, it's, it's like this first picture in the Bible of, of disconnectedness. Shame. Shame leads us to hide because it tells us that we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, we're not fast enough, we're not funny enough, we're not rich enough, we're not good-looking enough, we're not... I mean, fill in the blank, right? Shame tells us that we're just not enough. And it causes us to, to hide from each other, and it causes us to hide from God. Shame is destructive in our lives. Um, now... I think shame leads us to isolation, but I think that leads us uh, even further into this, this cycle. Um, so, so we move from shame to isolation, we, we hide, but then I think we become constantly critical of ourselves. We, we can't live up to the expectations we have for ourselves when we're in this, this cycle of shame. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? We're just not good enough for what we think we should be. And when we're constantly critical of ourselves, you know what it causes us to do with other people? To, to put unrealistic expectations on them as well. well. I can't live up to this, and so I expect you to live up to it as well. And it further drives us away from the people around us. I mean, isolation from shame puts us into this spiral and I think one of the ways this manifests itself, now I might step on some toes here. Um, I'm not going to apologize. Um, I think one of the ways this manifests itself in our world is perfectionism. I, I think we become overly perfectionistic when shame begins to rule in our lives. And I think... Um, I think there's some of us who have lived under this banner of shame for so long that we can't even imagine another way to live. That we just expect a lot out of ourselves, which allows us, which gives us permission to expect a lot out of the people around us. And we don't realize it, but it's, it's pushing us further and further away from the people we love most creates even more division in our lives. Shame does that. Shame does that to us. Um, in, the, in the Old Testament, most of you probably have heard this story, um, God's chosen people, the Israelites, find themselves in slavery in Egypt. Do you remember this story? And they're, they're in Egypt. Do you know how long they're in Egypt in slavery? For over 400 years, right? for over four generations in slavery. Can you imagine what your feeling of self-worth would be if all your people ever knew was slavery? Can you imagine 
what you would begin to believe about yourself? If, 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 if the only way your people had ever known to live was in producing for someone else, that that's their only value is in how many bricks they can make, how many buildings they can build. And, and God leads through Moses, he leads uh, the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery. And there's this, little, there's this little truth tucked into this story, if you go back and read it, is even though God's children are out of Egypt, they are still enslaved to shame. They still find themselves weighed down by the shame of their slavery. And some of you know this to be true, even though maybe you grew up in a place where you were constantly criticized, even though you might be out of that place now, you still feel enslaved to that criticism. You still feel what you once felt when you were a little kid, never good enough, right? They even at one point tell Moses, you know, they're, they're heading to the promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey. And uh, they're on their way to the promised land, and they say to Moses, Moses, take, a, take, take us back. He's like, back to slavery? And they're like, yes, it was better there than where we're going. And he's like, are you kidding me? Slavery? Because we find a home in our shame, don't we? We find a home there. And then God says this to him. He says this to Joshua as they're about to enter into the promised land. He says, then the Lord said to Joshua, today, as we go into the promised land, today, I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. God gives them, not based on anything they've done, God gives them a land that is their own. And he says, it's in this that you will now be able to walk away from the shame of your past. Right? It's in this, it's in this gift that he gives them. And the same thing is true for you and me in the gift of Jesus Christ. That's what the gift of Jesus is for us. It's, it's this idea that we don't have to live in the shame of our past anymore. It's, it's that we're given something new to give us a new name and a new land in which to live. And so I want us in, in the next few minutes just to see a, a couple of verses. The, the entire New Testament is filled with, with comments like this because I think the New Testament authors know that we have to be reminded again and again and again because we all feel, we all go back to that shame, we all feel that shame. In Ephesians, Paul writes this, you are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Um, you are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. Now, if you're like me right now, when you hear that, you just want to skate right by it because you don't believe it to be true. I find myself all the time reading passages like this, and I'm just like, ah, I get it. I'm God's masterpiece. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm God's masterpiece. Like, I bear his image. I'm, I, I'm an image bearer of God. And I think to myself, but yeah, but I make those mistakes. I do. The, no, 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 no. Yes, we all make mistakes, but you are God's masterpiece. And you've been created anew in Christ Jesus. Like, this is the work of Christ in you. 
Then, 2 Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone has placed themselves in, in, in Christ, she or he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things are made new. Your old life, who you once were, the shame of your past is gone. When, when God looks at you, now I know this is hard for us to understand, but when, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. If you're in Christ, if you've given your life to Christ, if, 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 you've, if you've identified yourself with Christ, if you've placed your faith in Christ, I don't know how many ways I can say that, but, but if you are in Christ, when, G, when, when God looks down at you, he sees Jesus, the perfect picture of humanity. And I think part of the New Testament just wants us to grasp that in itself, that, that when, when, when God sees us, he sees he sees his son. It's almost like, I mean, it's, it's not, this, this is such a limited picture, but it's almost like when, when we see our kids and we think, oh my gosh, there's nobody who's ever existed that's as good as my son is at whatever it is. And we like, we have these rose-colored glasses at times. It's, but, but God actually sees Jesus when he looks at us. I mean, it's so far beyond what we see when we see our kids. Like He sees his son, Jesus, when we've placed ourselves with Christ. We're a new creation. Old things have passed away. And all things have been made new. All things. In Romans, Paul writes this, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, there's no condemnation for you. If you're in Christ Jesus, you've been set free from the past. You've, you've been set free from whatever's been told to you or whatever you've told yourself that leads you to a place of shame. So, so what do we do? How, I mean, how do we overcome that? For some of us who live in shame, how do, how do we actually take these things on in a way that we begin to believe them? Well, uh, guilt and shame, like I said, are two very different emotions. I think when we feel guilt, it should lead us to apologize and reconcile with anyone that we've hurt. That, that guilt, when, when, when guilt is something that, 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 that comes up, that bubbles up within us, when it's the emotion that we feel, it should lead us to a place of reconciliation, right? But when shame bubbles up, when, when we start feeling unworthy, when, when we start feeling like we're, we're a waste, when we start feeling like, like we have no value whatsoever, I, I think the answer, and it's challenging, I, I get that this isn't like a, an easy fix, but, but the answer is to move the focus from what I'm not to who Christ is. Because we will never, we will never, ever, ever, this side of seeing Christ face to face, we'll, we'll, ever, we'll never be perfect. We're always going to have challenges. We're, we're always going to face the weaknesses of, of who we are. But because we've identified with Christ, we don't have to feel the shame 
of being worthless, of being set aside, of being cast aside, of being no good for anything. When we feel shame, we move the focus from what I'm not to who he is. And if you read the New Testament, you'll find this again and again and again. It's not about what we can figure out. It's not about becoming, you know, through self-help. And it, 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 it's about trusting that what Christ did is enough. I may not be enough, but he's enough. And I don't have to feel ashamed. I'm going to make mistakes. And when I do, I'll apologize. I'll reconcile and we'll move on. But I should never fall into the trap being overcome by shame in a way that leads me to isolation, being highly critical of myself and unrealistic about the people around me. But I should turn my attention to Jesus. So um, I have a phrase. Joe and, and the, the crew is going to come out and um, we're going we're to take communion together. Um, but before we do that, I have these two phrases that, that maybe you want to write down. And for some of you, I think it'll be super obvious what you need to write down. But here's the, here's the first. The first phrase is this. I am not... What? what? What have you been told? What do you remember? What have you told yourself? What, have, what has been associated with you so much that now you believe it to be true? I'm not worthless. I'm not a mistake. I'm not ugly. What, whatever it is for you, um, you, you, need, you need to remind yourself that you are not that, whatever that is. But rather, because of Christ, I am. I am made new. I am a masterpiece. I am an image bearer of God my Father. I am a son of the Most High. I am a daughter of my Father in Heaven. What do you need to remind yourself of today? Don't allow shame to drive you any further from God and don't allow shame to drive you any further from the people that you love. Um, in these next few moments, uh, the ushers are going to pass the elements, and um, this is an old tradition in the church to take a piece of bread and a cup of juice and be reminded of the body and blood of Jesus. And uh, we felt like this would be a perfect way to end a message on shame, to be reminded of what Christ has done so that we could be made new. And so we're going to pass these elements, and if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've placed your faith in Christ, if you've identified yourself with Jesus, please take communion with us. Uh, you don't need to be a member of this church. No hoops to, to, to jump through. We, we welcome you to the table. And I would just ask you to hold the elements um, just a couple of minutes, and uh, we'll, we'll take these together um, as, we, as we sing.